Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest making his second appearance on The Verge is relationship coach and best-selling author, Lee Wilson. Lee, how are you today, buddy? I'm awesome and excited to talk about this. Well, this is a this is not what I was uh, anticipating our next podcast to be on because your your success and your fame, so to speak, has been in the relationship world, the relationship coaching world, and uh, on Instagram at Real Coach Lee and on YouTube Coach Lee. And but you've now you you're kind of best selling author, and this new book was Jesus married could not be any more controversial in title and because I got the book and I shared it on social media and I saw the vitriol that it created was so powerful. Yeah. Was Jesus married? The case from the New Testament. How did a person of faith like you go to Treveca and basically major in religion. Yeah, I majored in theology. Theology. End up writing a book called Was Jesus Married? It seems so out of character. Tell me about this. Well, that's an interesting beginning and a deep rabbit hole. And if we were talking about this one year ago, I would have told you there's no way I would write a book like this. And as a matter of fact, 
a friend who we were actually talking about before the show started had a conversation with me where I was telling him some of this information. And it was just something that I had privately come to. Mm-hmm. And he said, you should write a book. And I laughed at him. No, there's no way. That would be pointless. I don't want to do that. No interest. You know, it wouldn't make sense. And there was not any feeling within me that that should happen. And he was actually similar in response when I told him that I uh, thought Jesus was married. As a matter of fact, I said, hey, I want to tell you something. I'm asking you to just hear me out. He majored with me in theology at Trevecca and very traditional, conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, And I'm talking about him, not just Trevecca, but I'm talking about this friend. And so I kind of thought I'd test the idea out on him, mostly because I had no one to talk to about it, or at least I felt like I did. Mm -hmm. Even people, a couple people who were close to me responded almost like putting their fingers in their ears with some anger and, you know, not interested in talking about it. You're just dead wrong. Mm Mm-hmm without even knowing at all what I was thinking. So we were in a car and I said, Hey, will you hear me out on this? I think Jesus was married before you say anything. We just listen. And he actually said, well, I'll listen. I'm really curious. And it kind of looked at me like I, I was a little bit silly <laughs> or, or had a, a screw loose in the head. So I talked to him and he didn't say anything. He just nodded and kind of looked at the road and every now and then he would glance at me. And so I didn't know what he was thinking. So I talked for 15 or 20 minutes and just kind of stopped. And I said, am I crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? And he said, 20 minutes ago, when you first said this, there is no way I could have been prepared to agree with you 20 minutes from then. He said, this is, he said, I don't even know what to say. He said, I'm shocked, but you have already convinced me. And it was right there the whole time. And I have had to give up the fake desire. Well, it's real desire, but it's, it's, it's fake in terms of it's, a, it's an illusion, this idea that everyone's going to agree with me or give me a fair shake at it. Yeah. Because people have turned this concept of a celibate single Jesus into Jesus. In other words, that's the mold. That's him. Mm-hmm. And if you question that part, you question it all. You know, that's how they view it. And that's one of the things I have to tell people. And I start in the book basically saying, I'm not saying at all that him possibly being married questions his lordship, his divinity, his miracles, the resurrection. None of that. You know, none of that is affected by him being married. If he were married, he could still do all of that. And that helps some people. But so here's the short and long story of why I actually decided to write a book about this topic. As you know, I was diagnosed with melanoma cancer. Yep. And, you know, that was the. One of the worst weeks of my life. Eight days, I had one meal, thinking I'm, I might be able to get two years to live because it had been there a long time. And yeah. anyone who's listening to this, if you have a strange mark on your body, just go get a doctor to look at it because it's something that if it's caught early enough, 
it's so manageable and it's simple. But if it stays, it spreads inside of your body, which I don't know how that concept escaped me, but I didn't truly understand how it worked, or at mm. least I hadn't thought about it. I thought you can have it removed at any time. And when the doctor said, this looks like melanoma, you know, she, and she said, I would tell you if, if I had doubt, I don't really have any doubt that that's what this is. The results came back. It was melanoma. And this spot has been on my leg for two and a half years. Wow. So she said, you know, initially when she saw it, she said, look, if it's spread, we will refer you to a pathologist. You know, so that's, that's what I was facing. Got the call on uh, day eight or nine that it was melanoma, but it had not spread anywhere in my body. One of the greatest days of my life because it, was, it took so little to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Cup of coffee on the back porch, I may as well have had a billion dollars. It was wonderful to be able to see with that vision. And that's a blessing from all this. But during that week, it was difficult to stay above anxiety. Uh, There's a great app called Calm that was useful for me, the breathing exercises. Uh, I would do those sometimes for two or three hours, just sit and do them. Wow. And my wife can attest to that. It was uh, when you think you're dying, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a new kind of anxiety. So the only thing that seemed to distract me other than the breathing exercises was this topic. Was Jesus married? And this was after the, I had, had the conversation with my friend and he had said, you know, as a th- person who majored in theology, who's very traditional, very conservative, that this makes all the sense in the world. Uh, you know, I'm talking to my wife about it constantly. This point, this point. And I started to even learn more as I just opened the New Testament. And I'm just reading Book of Matthew, Book of Mark. And I was reading things about Mary Magdalene that I had never paid attention to like I was at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I would just go to my wife and I would say, who is this woman? You know, this whole time she's been right here and there's information here that if you dabble, even just dabble in Jewish history, that the things that she's doing would jump out at you. And even the, the passage where Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, why did he weep? This is a man who's, who has seen people starving. He's seen them dying. He knows he's himself going to be executed, an innocent man. He is not a guy who's been sheltered. I mean, he has been out there among the poor and the dying and, and the diseased. And he's walking to this place and he already knows that Lazarus is dead. And he's been talking to his disciples about it, and he's actually telling them it's okay. He's going to rise again. And he tells even the village as he's walking in, people are telling, you know, there's the rabbi, the great one. There's Jesus. Lazarus is dead. It's okay. 
He's going to rise again. Then Martha comes to him. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's okay, Martha. He's going to rise again. You know, Jesus is cool, calm, and collected. This is probably the only time we see him rattled is when he turns and sees Mary. And she says to him the same words her sister said that Jesus responded to so calmly and coolly. Mary says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And he cannot even speak. The only thing the master of the universe can do when this woman's pain is in front of him is weep. And even the, the gospel writer is almost perplexed by this because all he can say is, Jesus wept. There's nothing more to say. And I just remember thinking, I went to private Christian school, high school. I went to private Christian school in elementary. Then I went and majored in theology at two different universities. Nobody's ever told me why he cried when he saw her. Nobody's ever told me why it mattered so much to him that she was crying when he had already dealt with Martha. He dealt with the disciples who were close to Lazarus. And this was Lazarus who he was close to himself. But it was Mary's pain, Mary specifically, that caused a different response in him. Which opens all kinds of doors in that if Jesus could be in love, then he would be that vulnerable. You know, because we can see pain on certain people and it hurts, but there are certain people in our lives, especially if you've ever been in love, and their pain affects you on a whole other level, a whole other other spectrum. And I just remember thinking, why in the world did she make him cry? Why did her pain make him cry? Not any, not these other people. And of course, I already had a, a very strong theory that they were married which would also make all the sense in the world that she would be the one to be able to make him cry. And so things like that, I would go to my wife and I would just say, I've got another, who is this woman question about Mary? And I would point out a situation. And so I talked her ear off all week about the topic because it was a a welcome distraction. But I also felt like I was being educated. And this is the only time in my life where I would describe a lot of the process as an out-of-body type of experience, almost like I wasn't, I wasn't piloting, I wasn't, you know, running this or driving this. And so when I got the good news that it hadn't spread, it was within minutes, probably one minute, my mind was already on this, and I was like, I've got to write this book. And it made no sense professionally because as I told you before we started the show, I had two good publishers wanting a relationship book from me. And both of them basically saying, we want first right of refusal. And I hadn't even decided who I was going to give first right of refusal to. And I was working on a manuscript for a relationship book. And so it made no sense professionally to do this. And really... You know, there's even an argument that could be made that it would be something that would hurt me professionally. You know, I get the wrong people mad at me or uh, people who are in my audience on YouTube. See, I wrote a book about it, get offended, unsubscribe. 
there were negatives. But when I started thinking a little bit about that, I really got, uh, the only way I can describe it is, you know, you've got these five senses and it's difficult for you to say, I reached out and felt that. Well, what does that mean? You felt it. You can't tell anybody what that means. You know, we do, I don't know how to describe what it feels like to touch something. And I felt that it was hard. How did you feel it was hard? You know, what, how did you feel that it was sharp? How did you feel that it was cotton? You can close your eyes and you can reach out and you can touch a cotton ball, roll it in your hands. It's cotton, you know, or it's a fabric. How? What about that? You, we don't even have the words for that. We, we can't even borrow another language mm-hmm. to describe that. That's what it felt like responded and it was almost like a language but it was also like a sense or a feeling and it was sort of like don't be a coward you're supposed to write this and i do remember a distinct thought i don't know if it was me responding to that feeling mm-hmm. or that sense or if it was you know, without beating around the bush, if it was God speaking to me, but the, the wording came into my head, I rose you up to write this. And that's what I felt like happened. I felt like I was on my deathbed, you know, and that I was given another chance. My prayers during that time were very simple. Help me was about all I could say. And, uh, so, it wasn't something I was going to turn away from. Mm-hmm. Something that serious, because if that's what was really happening, if God was really telling me to do this after saving me, you know, that's not something that you say. You know, this could hurt my career, or this could make some people mad at me, mm-hmm. because there are some people who, uh, even as recently as a few weeks ago, who've known me for years, who are mad at me. They're angry that I wrote this, and it didn't matter the points that I was making. They, they had this conclusion already. And, you know, the question is, okay, if Jesus was single, prove it. Show me the verse that says he was single. Because some people have actually said, well, that's adding to the Bible. I think it's adding to the Bible to say he was single. Because there's not a passage that says he was single or celibate. Mm-hmm. So, to be able to say he was married or single before we even get into any evidence, it's on the same playing field. It's equal because the New Testament does not specifically say either way, married or single. There's no direct statement either way. So why do we assume he was single? And when you get into Jewish history of what was expected of someone who was above the age of 14, especially if they were involved in being a a teacher, you get into the Jewish Talmud, which it amazes me, (laughs) majored in theology. I don't even think I heard the word. This is the Jewish Talmud is the written uh, Mishnah, which is the also called the oral Torah. It was scripture for them. They, spoke it to each other, and it had been passed down for years, hundreds of years, since at least 400 BC. It was finally written down 
in scattered pages before Jesus was even born, but it began to be organized and finally officially organized into the Talmud around 200 AD. The, the Mishnah was around 100 AD, but it was what Jesus would have been able to read and some scattered documents were available and also what they would have been talking about. And so if you want a picture of how Jesus grew up, what he would have thought about and been taught about the world, uh, the, the laws that God had given them, it's in the Jewish Talmud. And we read in there about men being expected to be married and have children based on the command of God in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. They saw it as an essential command. And we're even told in the Talmud that if you are going to engage in Torah, well, the Talmud just says a single man may not engage in Torah. Engaging in Torah means talking about the Torah, teaching about the Torah, discussing the Torah. Hmm. Something Jesus did over and over and over and with his enemies, the Pharisees, who were looking for anything to pin on him. We're told they plotted to have him killed. In other words, they weren't just hoping it would happen. They were trying to make it happen. And they were trying to frame him breaking a law because Jesus did not break a law. He was the perfect, you know, spotless lamb of God. So he did not sin because the Bible says sin is a transgression of the law. So they were trying to frame him. Even we have the Pharisees trying to pin him on his disciples, not washing their hands before a meal, which was not even a Jewish law. It was just a, basically guidance. It was a directive, a cleanliness um, custom. And it wasn't even Jesus, it was his disciples, but they were somehow trying to hurt Jesus, his reputation, hmm. by pointing that out. If he was not obeying what the, the, the Jewish people actually called the great mitzvah, mitzvah is a command of God, which was to be fruitful and multiply, if he was not obeying that in that time, it would have been a slam dunk because he would have been breaking the law by teaching and engaging in Torah. Hmm. So it wouldn't have just been like, oh, he shouldn't do that. It, it, they weren't allowed to have, you know, nowadays we have opinions. Everybody sees it differently, you know, we say. And we are very, uh, even in our society where, where we're as divided as we are, we still have some sense of people get to live their own lives and make their own decisions, at least to large degree. Mm -hmm. In that day, religion, the Jewish religion was the law of the land. They were in a theocracy. And so... Marriage was a law. It was illegal. Hmm. And the courts could actually force a man, if he, had, if he waits until he's 20 and he's still not married, they could force a man to be married, to marry someone. They could have say, here, this woman here, you're going to marry her. He had to do it. Wow. Because he had to obey. He had to keep his commitment to God's command to be fruitful and multiply. So we have this man teaching who the people do not know he's God's son. They don't know he's the Messiah. Some of them hope that he is. Some of them think that he is. Some of them are listening to him to try to determine whether or not he is. He wouldn't have got a foot in the door as a single man because he would have been violating the commands of God. They wouldn't have trusted him. They would have saw him as someone who did not love God, who didn't respect God, and who wasn't even... Uh, supporting them as a people because they were in Roman occupation. And so they had to 
replicate themselves because they didn't want to die out. They wanted to keep their culture mm-hmm. alive and their people alive. And so they, it was even more so. And another interesting thing that's in the Talmud is we read that a single man that actually calls him a bachelor, a bachelor may not be a teacher of children. And Jesus said, let the ch- little children come to me. Because the disciples thought he was too busy for them, for the kids. He said, let them come to me. Again, we're talking about low-hanging fruit. If he had done something like that and was not married, it's something the Pharisees would have exploited. Yeah, and, sure. and, and we have so much evidence mm-hmm. showing that they would have exploited anything to mm-hmm. get him. And so we, have a, we even have one of his miracles was when in the audience of people he was teaching, there was a young boy who had five loaves and two fish, you know, that he, when they were trying to feed the people and the disciples basically said, we don't have enough. This little boy offered his five loaves and two fish. And there's like what, 2000, 3000 people here, Jesus, what are we going to do? And that was one of his miracles. And so it's almost like we are getting this information that he did this miracle with what this boy had. So the miracles were being talked about. If that's the case, then the whole place is talking about Jesus teaching a child. And yet we have in the Talmud, which means this is passed down hundreds of years. Jesus was smack in the middle of it. A bachelor was not allowed to teach children. Hmm. He was doing that. It is fair to say, does that mean Jesus was not a bachelor? Because he would have been breaking a law. Just like if we rob a bank today Mm -hmm. and We already know he had people with a magnifying glass on him trying to find the law that he was breaking. This would have been a slam dunk. They would have had him thrown in prison. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, Hmm. uh, that's the basis of this is that if you start looking at this through through that lens, then you start seeing other things. And I, I can't go through the whole book, but it reached a point where I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And when you're supposed to do something, the consequences may come, they may not come, but that does not change that you're supposed to do it. And so that's what I felt right, wrong or indifferent. And it has been interesting because of the responses. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will want to debate before they even read the book. And all they have to say is, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. They'll say, the Bible doesn't say that, so therefore it's not true. Um, but again, it also does not say he was single. So we can play that game all night long, yeah. and I'll even brew the coffee. Yeah. Uh, and that, so that's where you have to say, we can look at historical insight, and we can even look at the New Testament. And that's where this Mary Magdalene person becomes fascinating. And one of the things I'll say because there's lots of things about her, but that I think about nearly every day. And I, I called a few people when, I'm, when I made this conclusion, and I, I started interacting with a, a Hebrew, an organization, a Hebrew organization that all they do is research the names of people in Hebrew that are mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and what those names mean. And they are providing content on that constantly because they'll 
uh, it's a publication. But it's something that anyone can verify, and I, re- I reference it in the book, and you can find it online. As a matter of fact, I have the link visible in the book. But the name Mary Magdalene, and we know the, the names in the Bible are highly symbolic, like Jesus, the name Jesus means Savior of the world. <laughs> what a coincidence. Uh, and even when he referenced Peter, Peter means rock. Simon uh, means first to obey, which is really interesting because his name was Simon Peter. He was the first to obey, and then Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, and he was talking about Peter. And so the names in the Bible, it's a fascinating study. If you ever want to study the names of people in the Bible, a lot of them, it's almost prophetic, and it tells a lot about their lives, their name. The name Mary Magdalene in Hebrew, which is Maria of Magdala, means beloved. Mary means beloved. Magdala means of the great one. So Mary Magdalene (laughs) in Hebrew means beloved of the great one. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. And then there's something that is called a mirror, mirror translation because we have the word rabbi, which comes from the Hebrew word rav, R-A-V, which means great one. And so it's almost as though when Mary of Bethany left and started traveling with Jesus, probably because she, she knew he was going to die when she anointed him with oil. Jesus actually said she was saving this for the day of my burial. She knew it. So when it appears as though when she realized her time with him was short, that he was going to die fairly soon, she, instead of staying with her brother and her sister, which is where Jesus kept coming back to from his travels, to the home of Martha and Lazarus and Mary. She just basically said, it's dangerous for a woman to travel, yes, but you know what? I don't have much time with you. I want to go with you. And I think Jesus said, okay. When she started traveling with him, instead of Mary of Bethany, she became Mary Magdalene. And it was almost as though the disciples said, well, your name means beloved and you're beloved of the great one. So we'll just call you beloved of the great one. And that was her name when she started traveling with him because just like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was called Jesus of Nazareth. uh, It was because it was where he was from, but it also, it would change if you weren't from there anymore, if you left there uh, and you were in other places. And so she was called Mary Magdalene, which means beloved of the great one or beloved of the rabbi. Mm -hmm. So, there, there's lots of fascinating things that all it takes is an honest, logical, fair, rational look at it. And once you realize that this is not an affront to his lordship, his deity, to who he was at all, um, him, it's simply the radical idea that Jesus obeyed God. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this as two, twofold because it's got two sides to this. What is the significance to Christianity that Jesus was married compared to what we believed prior to this this book that you wrote? What is the negative and what is the positive? What can we take out of it? Because obviously, there is a lot of vitriol that you're facing by posting something that is not in the Bible, but neither 
neither is the other side. What's the significance of it? And that's been a debate tactic. I mentioned this in the book. There was one person I was talking to before I'd even written the book. And I don't mean this to sound arrogant at all, mm-hmm. but he realized pretty quickly that he was defeated in debate, that he had nothing. He was up the creek without a paddle as far as discussing this with me. And he was irritated. And he actually said, why does it even matter? Which is, to me, a fascinating debate topic. The truth matters. Yeah. You know? And one person who, the first time I mentioned it to him, he became angry. And five minutes, he kind of pitched a little fit at me. And then I just thought, well, I'm not going to talk to him about it anymore. But I decided to try again a few months later. And I just said, can you give me 15 minutes? And then you can, if you still think I'm wrong, pitch a fit at me again. You know, get mad at me. Because if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to prop up a straw man here. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I welcome the truth. Yeah. And he gave me 15 minutes. And this is also a person who is very educated in theology and the New Testament in particular. And after 15 minutes, he sat there quietly, and there was this awkward 30 seconds, one minute of just silence. And he said, you know, as a married man, I think I can relate relate a lot more to him now. And I kind of looked at him, and he said, because you're right. And this is not about me being right. And that's where um, uh, one friend who I asked to read the manuscript he did not, <laughs> uh, but wanted to debate me on the topic. And he would say things, well, Jesus didn't have time to be married, which is interesting. Because how would you know that? <laughs> and if you uh, study the Talmud, there's actually instructions for rabbis because they would travel during that time. Like now, a lot of people commute to work 45 minutes an hour. You know, they'll drive 30 minutes and be back that evening for dinner to, to their home. But the distance we travel today would be days of traveling for them because they walked mm-hmm. primarily. And so a rabbi would go to a neighboring town and teach for a few days. And it was a day or two days walk there. Then he would teach and he'd do what he needed to do. And then what? Did he go to another village or did he come home? Either way, it was going to be days of travel. And so the Talmud actually tells rabbis, if you're going to teach in another town, don't be away from your wife any longer than a month at a time. So their view of things in terms of marriage and how much time couples spend together was quite a bit different than we look at it today. Because we would probably think that was a pretty rough situation if a husband would be gone for a month at a time and come back, spend some time with her and leave for another month. A lot of people wouldn't like that. And I understand why Mm -hmm. they wouldn't, but that was something that was very common then. And we actually see that Jesus would go teach in these towns and then come back. And where does it say he was the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And Mary was always with him. And remember Martha complained, tell her to get in here and help me in the kitchen. Jesus And Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, what she has will not be taken from her. 
that's kind of how it translates, which is interesting because what is it he's saying she has? It's him. Yeah. But um, this, the response has been, why does it matter? Um, you know, if it mattered, God would have told us, which is interesting um, because if you look at the New Testament and you look at the Talmud and other writings of Jewish people, wives were hardly ever mentioned. In the Talmud, there are hundreds of rabbis mentioned, only two wives, and yet every single rabbi was married, or else they were massive hypocrites because they were saying, if you're not married, you're sinning. So we know they were all men, these guys, you know, because we have multiple cases, mm-hmm. multiple rabbis in the Talmud repeat that the great mitzvah is something that can only be accomplished by being married and having children. And so either you say, well, they were all hypocrites and were, were not, or you say they must have been or the people wouldn't have given them any credibility. And we have other writings about these rabbis, and it actually talks about them being married. But this, these are just sort of uh, historical documents. They're not, it's not the religious document that the Talmud is. The Talmud is a religious and legal document. And so wives just weren't mentioned. I mean, it was just, it's kind of a sad look at, at the world in that day. But in many ways, women were treated as second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. And they weren't seen as important or able to contribute much. And so they just weren't mentioned very much. And um, the Jewish religion, especially in the Talmud, actually made a lot of progress for women because it taught it, it actually would hold a man accountable for how he treated his wife and things like that. So there was good things there, but they still just didn't see her role as being worthy of being talked about much. And so we don't hear a lot about the wives. As a matter of fact, are we going to assume all the disciples were single just because it doesn't mention, we have a casual mention of Peter's wife only by deduction because we're told that Jesus was passing through and, and Peter's mother-in-law who was sick was getting worse and that Jesus went in and, and healed her. So we know Peter had a mother-in-law, but we're actually not told he had a wife. We deduce since he had a mother-in-law, he had a wife. And there's several things Mary Magdalene does. A couple I've already mentioned that I, I haven't elaborated on, but that people in that day, when they realized she did these things would have deduced she was his wife, or else she would not have done them. It would actually have been illegal for her to do. And so the question, does it, does it matter? Or why does it matter? Or what does it tell us? I think that if we're looking at the human aspect of Jesus, which we're told he was 100% human, and he was 100% God. He was both. He was God being human. And we're told he gave up all the benefits of being God to be human. We're actually told he did not see being equal to God as something to exploit, but humbled himself as a man. And so he was on earth in our shoes, total immersion of what it was like to be a human being. It's fascinating. And people I know have no trouble with Jesus being God and God's son, that just makes all the sense in the world to him. But if you remind him he was human, that's where it seems to be difficult. Mm-hmm. And yet we're told he gave up Godhood. Hmm. Now he was still God, but I'm talking, when I say that, I'm talking about he gave up the benefits, the being able to uh, have a better existence. I mean, he suffered as a human. 
He, he had to do the difficult things, the humiliating things, just like us. And that's so important in understanding and relating to Jesus is knowing that, understanding that. And so this is one of those aspects where can you imagine, and it's difficult for a lot of people to imagine Jesus as a husband, potentially as a father, which again, if he was obeying, if he was doing what was considered to be essential in that culture, he would have been married and he would have had children. And I know that for some people that they want to put their fingers in their ears. No, 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 no. But I want to know why, because there's nothing, there's no prophecy that says Jesus had to be single. He was not sinning by being married because marriage was God's idea. It's actually in the Jewish religion, being married and having sex with your spouse was seen as a purification of sorts, as a sanctification. It wasn't seen as something that made you dirty or impure. It was seen as something that actually purified you. To quote uh, many Jewish historians, um, in paraphrase, Judaism had no tradition of celibacy. Other religions did. Hinduism, Buddhism, mm -hmm. they had, they placed importance on celibacy. Judaism saw it as irresponsible. They saw it as not fulfilling your duty to God, that you were created, that if it was physically possible for you to do, that you would multiply because you were, God commanded it twice. A lot of commands, he only said it one time. This he said twice. He mm -hmm. said it to Adam and he said it to Noah after the flood. And the Jewish people believed it was essential. So if we, if we see Jesus as a husband, as a father, he can relate to the difficulties we have in those circumstances. In other words, he knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to have disrespectful children at times. And of course they say, well, would that, no, because... Jesus would have been perfect married to an imperfect person. That couldn't work. Well, our relationship with God, we are imperfect people who are in a relationship with a perfect person. It doesn't mean that there aren't problems in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And you can have someone who's in the right. Have you ever been in the right with your spouse? And you knew you were in the right, and then later she or he realized that you were in the right, mm -hmm. and yet you still had an argument. There were still frustrations. And one of you was right and one of you was wrong. So, so it doesn't mean that because one person is right that the marriage is just going to be uh, perfect. It also doesn't mean that you two are incapable of interacting because you're right and this person's wrong because it matters how this person views it. And what I'm saying is, is that it gets complicated. Yeah. And that just because... Jesus was perfect does not mean that he couldn't be in a marriage with an imperfect person. And he's been in a relationship with imperfect people throughout human history. So it's nothing new. Yeah. And so being able to think of Jesus in a situation, in a marriage, it still takes work. Even if you're perfect, it takes work. And he's this person that we can relate to rather than sit there and think he was in some bubble wrap. Yeah, and that he didn't experience what we did or even have physical desires or um, difficulties that would arise in life that, that happened because of that. And so that's important. I think it's also important that we remember 
that the only person Jesus ever said told us, and it sounds like a command to me, but he said, wherever my gospel is preached, remember her. I don't know. I can't think of him saying that about anybody else. Yeah. He wanted her remembered wherever his gospel was preached. And of course, the question people ask is, well, why didn't it just come out and say it? Why didn't he say it? You know? And to give the very brief version of that, first of all, like I said, we already have a precedence of wives not being mentioned, just not how they did things. But secondly, and one that people tend to dismiss, but we shouldn't, she was in a lot of danger if she was his wife because Roman history historical records of the Romans list Jesus being executed for crimes against the state. And that crime was threat of insurrection because he had descendancy from David, the famous King David who had a right to the throne of Israel. Mm -hmm. And if you know much about how royalty works, you get enough people backing someone who has bloodlines and can be a King. That's how overthrows happen. And Rome didn't want any of that because they were in control. They occupied Israel. And Jesus was made into an example. That's why above his head on the cross, the wood actually said, king of the Jews. I mean, they were saying, you want a king? This is what we do to your king. You think that you can overthrow Caesar? Look, this guy thought he could too. That's why they put the sign above his head. I mean, he was made into an example. And anyone who had that blood his blood would have been in danger. So if we're talking about children or even someone who could have had his children, it made her and any descendants in incredible danger. And in my opinion, that's why we we don't hear anything else about Mary Magdalene. The entire New Testament, the starting of the church in Acts, the disciples are there. She's not. Hmm. This person who, the first person Jesus showed himself to, the first person to tell the disciples he was resurrected, the one he said he wanted to be remembered, she disappears. Why? I think she went into hiding. And there's some historical uh, evidence. It's, it's not in stone, but that Joseph of Arimathea, who gave uh, his tomb to Jesus, actually might have also helped Mary escape um, the area and hide from the Romans. But she sure does disappear as far as the rest of the New Testament's concerned. Interesting. Well, how can, how can my listeners get a copy of Was Jesus Married? Well, it's on Amazon. Dot com and it's just there's a couple other couple other titles um, was Jesus was Jesus married one of them is just an Amazon book and it's very short uh, but mine is obviously the one that has my name on it was Jesus married the case from the New Testament by Lee Wilson and um, it's in hardback and it's in Kindle so you can read it on your phone or you can order it and read it in your hands. Well, I love the fact that you took on such a monumental task, and I encourage everybody to read it with an open mind because the uh, the truth will set you free. And yet there is no right or wrong here, but it's just a fascinating investigation on something that a lot of the world has been founded upon. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your insight and your story, Lee. Wow, powerful stuff, man. <laughs> wow. Check it out on Amazon. Check him out on Instagram at Real Coach Lee. That's right. YouTube, Coach Lee. If you're having any issues with, with, with your relationships, reach out to him there. 
and I'm absolutely positive you'll, you'll be hearing more from Lee on On the Verge in the future. Lee, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Thank you, Virgil. My pleasure. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.